Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Harold Hutchinson, Head of Research at Investec Securities. I'm joined today by Mark Elliott, our Senior Analyst in Energy Technology. And we're here to discuss hydrogen. It's been in the news quite a lot recently. Um, hi, Mark. Good to be able to talk this afternoon. Just uh, as we start this, I mean, maybe it's just I'm too old, but when I think of hydrogen, I think of sort of airships blowing up and enthusiasm for hydrogen cars that never actually emerged. So, look, is this another false dawn for hydrogen that we're dealing with at the moment, or is it different this time? Well, I believe it is different this time, and uh, airships blowing up indeed, that is, uh, I think that sort of just touches on the point that hydrogen is a uh, wonderfully powerful fuel. Um, I believe it's about the most energy-dense fuel that we have on this planet, potentially in the universe, by mass. So uh, that's why scientists have long looked toward the hydrogen economy as being uh, the ultimate solution. So is this a false dawn, or is it real this time? Well, I think... When looking back at the past, we can consider uh, the issues in, in three separate uh, three separate areas. Firstly, maturity, uh, electrolyzers, fuel cells, everything linked to the hydrogen economy um, has been around for a long time, but not yet commercialized. So the technologies have come a long way. Um, with a lot of work having gone into it. I mean, we had the false dawn of fuel cells, shall we say, uh, prior to the global financial crisis. And um, I think back at that time, the, the technologies simply weren't really mature enough. In addition, and equally importantly, a lack of political support. Um, you're asking uh, for a transition, a major change in our energy systems. And in order to achieve that, you need political will and support and public support. And in the past, we didn't have that. However, today, clearly, the uh, renewables agenda is much, much higher up the, the priority list. Uh, there's the net zero targets that are in place. Uh, the general public, in many instances, wants uh, it has at its heart sort of an, an environmental goals. We've seen uh, elections or, or big swings in sort of green mandates in, in governments like South Korea and France recently. Um, so that's clearly ramped up, and so we have good support there. And the economics of the technologies, and it does require, back to the point of maturity, it does need this and does need the political support, and that enables scaling up. And I think um, we can we can look to what's been achieved in renewables in the past, and when the correct policies have put in been put in place, and the technologies have been in mature have been matured sufficiently then the economics can become ever more attractive. So overall, is this full, full storm? No, I don't think it is. I think we have the political will, the agendas are in, coming in place, the incentives are coming through, the technology is now where it needs to be, or well on the way to being where it needs to be. And so the economic models, I think, are soon to start to work and will help to drive this forward. Uh, okay. Yes, net zero is certainly in the news a lot, a lot. But if I wanted to dig in a bit then on what you're saying, I hear big increases in electrolyzer capacity, et cetera, et cetera. But where are the real areas within the decarbonisation agenda that you think hydrogen you know, can make the difference relative to lots of other technologies that are out there? Well, I think hydrogen is perhaps the closest thing to a silver bullet 
that is available to achieve our decarbonisation agendas. Um, I mean, there is no silver bullet, quite frankly, but it, it's it's the most flexible route to decarbonise a whole range of industries. It can be used to decarbonise heat. So, simplistically, anywhere that you burn, let's say, natural gas to generate heat, you can burn hydrogen to generate heat as effectively, provided you've got the infrastructure around it that's uh, set up to deal with hydrogen, uh, because you know there's some differences in how the, the hydrogen burns versus natural gas. So you can use it to decarbonize heat in the homes, in buildings, et cetera, et cetera, where natural gas is, is typically used in boilers. It can be used in transport. And here, I think in particular, it lends itself to higher energy applications. So think about applications where range and fast refill is required. So that's trucks, that's buses, that's trains, uh, and, and ships potentially. And also, I think that it'll have a role to play in some sectors of uh, light duty, uh, light duty transport in cars. Um, then moving on beyond that, you know, once you've converted green, electri uh, green electricity, shall we say, to hydrogen, um, it can act as a fuel for electricity generation, be it in gas turbines. Siemens is is working hard to have hydrogen flexible gas turbines. I think by 2030 intends to have that firmly established. Um, and uh, and you can of course use it in fuel cells directly to make electricity um, as, a, as a generation source. Thereafter, I think hydrogen has a role in industry. Uh, there are an important high carbon emitter, emitting industries, cement and steel most notably, um, that use a lot of hydrocarbons. You can replace a lot of that. So in cement, you can the burners that, that would be natural gas supplies, you can use hydrogen. In steel, it can be used as a reductant uh, when making steel from, from, from iron ore, uh, which is typically something you do with coking coal. And in petrochemicals as well, a key building block in petrochemicals is hydrogen. Um, hydrogen itself in the in industry is, is, a, is, a, is a huge market that consumes about 5% of global natural gas. And about half of that is used to make ammonia, which is a fertilizer. And very, uh, very importantly, energy storage. Um, batteries are fantastic means to store electricity, but they have their limitations if you want longer duration storage. Weeks and even intraseasonal storage is exceptionally hard with batteries. In hydrogen, we know how to store molecules very, very well. And we have lots of geological structures we can co-opt uh, to achieve uh, energy storage. So sort of salt caverns, uh, Old, old oil and gas wells where you could pump the hydrogen back in and store it for a later date. Um, and then lastly, I think it's also worth touching on energy transmission. Um, a lot of people push back against the hydrogen economics versus sort of energy storage and batteries and so forth. There's uh, because of the inefficiencies of versus uh, batteries, which which is true. But the but if your renewables come down and down in cost, and we're looking at ways to move energy around in large quantities, long distances, hydrogen can be very very effective. A pipeline can be as much as 20 times cheaper than a wire to move the same amount of energy. And furthermore. Pipelines and pipe infrastructure, such as that which we have in the UK for our heating, are, have considerable embedded energy storage characteristics. So hydrogen has numerous facets that it can be deployed to, to offer a whole range of services. And so its flexibility, I think, has huge value going forwards. Right. So um, I suppose right across the energy chain is what you're saying. But I'd like you to dig into one thing a little bit more for me. If I've understood you right, you're effectively using energy to make hydrogen in the first place. 
So could you talk a little bit more about making sure this is really decarbonisation? What exactly is green hydrogen when you're uh, mentioning that? And also, if there is this uh, cost to um, making the hydrogen in the first place, are you sure about how the costs of this are going to stack up uh, in the medium term, especially on the on the green, the, the renewable hydrogen? Could you talk about that a bit for us, Mark? Certainly. I think firstly, I'll just outline the difference between green and blue hydrogen, which are often touted as sort of the decarbonized route of hydrogen. Uh, green is renewable electricity going into electrolyzers to make hydrogen. So that, that's fairly straightforward. And blue, that's uh, conventional hydrogen production, so steam methane reforming for, uh, with carbon capture and storage. Um, right. So I think that sort of characterizes uh, those two routes. Um, and I think if we go forwards in terms of the costing and the competitivity, um, I mean, costing today clearly is not, for green hydrogen, is not competitive to brown hydrogen, which is with no carbon capture and storage, and perhaps not with carbon capture and storage as well. But costs are coming down very rapidly already. I mean, estimates say that uh, the costs for green hydrogen are down about 60% in the last 10 years and may very well halve again by 2030. So the costs are coming down, scale uh, effects are taking place. Furthermore, the cost of green hydrogen is inextricably linked to the cost of renewable generation, electricity generation. Uh, one of the most effective means by which you can reduce your sort of levelized costs of hydrogen production is by getting ever cheaper electricity, which is the most expensive component of the process. And as we know very well, renewables are coming down and down in cost. And in certainly in certain instances, they're exceptionally low. So you can really enhance the value or enhance the economics of hydrogen production if your renewable energy generation is very, very cheap. So in that context, I think the cost direction of costs is headed the right way to become ever more attractive. As an overlay to that, I would point out that decarbonisation agendas are often moving towards penalising emissions. So the economics of green hydrogen may become enhanced if uh, other routes which used you know, carbon-based sources um, are face carbon costs uh, in, in, in that context. And I think that will level up or, or even uh, favour green hydrogen over brown uh, uh, and sort of more fossil fuel orientated energy route, uh, pathways. Right. Um, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's particularly interesting. Yes, the polluter pays principle, potential rises in carbon prices. We've seen carbon markets themselves starting to um, start to price in higher um, higher costs for emitting carbon. So that does actually seem to stack up quite well. Um, Mark, thanks for that. Uh, those of you that are listening, you'll know Mark is an expert in this space. He has written extensively on it. Uh, please do reach out to him if you've got any further questions on this pod or indeed on anything else around the broad hydrogen area and how it's affecting the UK corporate sector. Thanks very much for listening today. Thank you.